Well, good morning. It's good to be together. A little winter break for some people. I know we've got a kid off of school. I see some people that uh, may be visiting because of winter break and some folks that are not here because of winter break. When I was a kid, we only had spring break. Where did this winter break come from? What's going on with that? We're not taking a break from the Sermon on the Mount, this thing that we're calling a Sermon for Life. Uh, Jesus is walking through here uh, a number of ways in which we relate to the world. If I were going to sum up kind of the, the overarching theme, it would be something like Jesus is, is communicating to his followers the kind of people that they need to be, Beatitudes, in order to be salt and light in the world, uh, but not trusting in themselves, uh, a righteousness that is greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. That's the opening part of, of the Sermon on the Mount. And then we're in this section where he goes through and he begins to apply it. Uh, he applies it with regards to anger. He regards it with regards to sexuality, committed love. Uh, he re- applies it today with regards to our words. And then he's going to roll that out into how we deal with those who may be in opposition to us. So some very practical applications in terms of how we live in community. Today, though, it's words. I'm wondering how many people under the age of 50 understood the sermon title today, uh, TBH. Uh, I guarantee all the kids did, uh, those uh, under kids under 50. Um, uh, they, <laughs> to be honest, I mean, our, 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 our world is filled with these types of, of sayings that we just sort of slip in there, you know. To be honest, I, I didn't really like the Russian figure skaters, you know. Not going to lie to you, uh, I don't like winter. Um, honestly, this is what... We, we, we are always qualifying things with this sense of, you know, I'm not going to lie, I'm going to be honest, I, I'm going to tell you the truth. And this is something that it, it just sort of slips in, it's a bit innocuous and certainly not going into some sort of casuistry with saying that if you use TBH, you, you are, you know, sinful or, or anything like that, but it gives us pause, like, why do we say that? You know, wh- why do we feel the need to qualify uh, in that way? Why does that take up such headspace in our current cultural, um, our current cultural commitments and our current cultural uh, milieu? Part of it is because we just live in a world that lives fast and loose with the truth. I mean, how many of you don't desire to listen to the news and say, can I really believe what they're saying? Can I, can I trust what they are saying to me? Can I count on this? Or in your business deals or 
in your families, with your kids, or you, with your neighbors. We, we just live in a world where words mean very little, uh, where truth is almost assumed that we're not getting the whole story. And Jesus deals with this. Uh, Jesus deals with this as he's talking about how we live as light. So what does this have to do with global missions? It has everything to do with global missions. We, we are truth tellers as followers of Jesus. We are seeking to bring the truth to the world, whether it be in our families, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, uh, in Grand Rapids. Throughout the world, uh, the truth is the number one thing that, that we deal with. It's the number one thing that we are seeking to bring around. So I want to walk through this this morning, see if we can understand this a, a little bit deeper. Some people have read this uh, passage and said, well, Jesus is talking about taking oaths in court and, and not, uh, not taking oaths in court. I, I don't think that is what is in view at all. In fact, very very few commentators would say Jesus is talking anything really about that. Uh, later, in when Jesus goes under trial, uh, Caiaphas asks him, "I ask you under oath, are you this? You know, are you the Son of God?" And Jesus answers him at that point, seemingly in nod to the fact that that he was under oath. What Jesus is talking to, about here is not sort of an oath in public court, but he's talking about the, the power of our words, and he's talking about how we use them. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, the simple uh, truth of what we say. So I want to walk through it this way. Let's first look at a word about words, and then we'll get into this passage, the, a word about honesty and, and we'll finish off with a word wrapped in silence. Two, two actual words about words. One is their power, and then the second is how they reveal and embody uh, our heart. They reveal and shape our heart. So the power of words. Uh, words are, are so powerful. We recognize this. Uh, Cooney read for us James chapter 3. James chapter 3 he is making the point there that the tongue is the most powerful organ in our body. We read verses 2 to 5, takes up in verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. Uh, every kind of beast, bird, reptile, sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Uh, he is so clear here that this, this tongue, the words that we speak, they have a power. Spent some time this week reading through the Proverbs and you know, sort of that middle section of Proverbs, you know, 9 to 20 or so. And just over and over and over again, instructions with regards to our words, instructions with regards to our tongues. Uh, chapter 10, for instance, just says, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, whoever utters slander is a fool. 
When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Our our words every day, this is actually somewhat terrifying and somewhat exciting to think about. Every day, no matter who you are, no matter if you are four years old, 40 years old, or 400 years old, uh, you, you have so much power at your disposal. You, there is the potential for, for so much. Now, the, the honest part about that is it's, it's so much good or evil, but, but that's, that's what James is saying, and that's what Proverbs is telling us. Like, you have the power to build people up. It's so exciting to think about, like, what you can do in this next 24 hours with the words that you say. You can make somebody's day. You can bless them. You can build them up. You can enliven their hearts. There there is so much power in words. But the other side of that, of course, and we know that, not only edification, but also demolition. I mean, we have the power to tear down. We have the power to destroy. Uh, You look at what is happening amongst young people today and just how words are being thrown around, especially on social media where there is that lack of boundary where I've got to look somebody in the eye and and say something before their face. Face and uh, you know the bullying, the words, the tearing down. You know, oftentimes these words will be the direct link to somebody taking their own life. Uh, there is so much power in our words, which is why Jesus is addressing it here. Uh, Let your yes be yes and your no be no. The way of life uh, that we conduct, especially with our words, needs to be something that edifies, not demolishes. Uh, Secondly, under this, uh, this first observation, not only do our words have power, but our words embody Uh, and they shape our heart. Uh, This is part of the reason why these words are, it's so important that Jesus deals with words. He goes on, he expands on this in Matthew chapter 12, so a few chapters later. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, the tree bad, its fruit bad. This was your silent meditation, incidentally, for today. The tree is known by its fruit, Uh, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. Jesus here is making that connection between our words and our heart. And this is something that the Proverbs uh, connect with over and over and over again. Um, The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness 
to his lips. Proverbs 16, 24. The words that come out of our mouth uh, are, are a, a direct indication or they are flowing from the heart in which they are rooted to. And this is the theme that we've been seeing in all of this teaching that Jesus is giving. Uh, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, they, they are thinking about external conformity. Uh, but Jesus is saying, no, we need to do a little excavation. We need to get in the backhoe. We need to get in the digger. And, and we need to go to the heart because that is the significance of our words. They're, they're connected to our heart. And, and I said they, they both reveal our heart. So, so what is in there? Uh, oftentimes, so just think about the words that are spoken in anger. We've, we've already talked about those words. Those words are revealing the fact that, that we are a seething cauldron of anger with regards to a person or an idea or uh, anything. And our words sort of bring that out and they reveal what's going on in our heart. But our words also shape us. You know, the things that we say, that, that sort of highway flows both ways. They reveal our hearts and they shape our hearts. If we use words that uh, are tearing people down, we will begin to feel that way. If we use words that are exalting, they also can lead our heart and they can shape our heart in this way. James 1 some of you know uh, this passage, 126. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not uh, bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So what we do with our tongue has an effect on our heart. If we don't bridle our tongue, we deceive ourselves and, and the truth is not in us. We shape ourselves in this way. This is one of the reasons why I was thinking about this this morning. You know, we sing these songs, and uh, they're, they're rich in lyrics. You know, we get out our hymnals. We sing these, these words, and, and they're, they're just so thoughtful. And the, and the words that we sing, they, they shape us. Yes, we're giving glory to God, but we are also being shaped as we, as we sing and we bring these words on our lips it's an important part of our discipleship, who we are, and we miss something if we don't use words in this way. So this is why Jesus deals with this, because again, Jesus is working at the heart level, and he recognizes that we cannot talk about the heart without talking about the mouth. We cannot talk about what's going on inside without talking about what comes out outside. So specifically then, what, what is he talking about here? What was the situation that was going on that Jesus was addressing in this passage? Well, it is titled O's, but really it could be titled hypocrisy. It could be titled uh, a failure to walk uh, the walk that, or, or failure to walk the talk. Uh, that was what was going on with the religious leaders. And 
the reason was they, they were getting technical. Remember, they were worried about this external conformity, uh, and they had all kinds of casuistry, all these little laws uh, that allowed them to be technically right, even if they were violating the spirit of the law. So, Jesus says here, uh, you shall not swear falsely, but perform to the Lord what you say. Do not take an oath, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, by earth, for its footstool. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. If you look at Matthew chapter 23, uh, you see the, the seven woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, Woe to you, Jesus says in verse 16, blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing, but if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, what is greater, the gold of the temple or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And if you swear anyone who swears by, if you say anyone who swears by the altar, it is nothing, but if you swear by the gift that is on the altar, you are bound by your oath. You blind men, what is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the great, uh, the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. So maybe you get a sense of what is going on here. The Pharisees and the scribes made these rules. They said, okay, I can, I, can, I can swear that I will do something. I will make a public pronouncement that I will do such and such. And I am going to swear by the temple, or I'm going to swear by the earth, or I'm going to swear by these certain things. But if I swear by, by the altar and not the gift on the altar, then I have less of an obligation to keep that word. I can, I can break that, I can move away because I, I just swore by the altar. I didn't actually swear by my gift on the altar. And, and that's what Jesus is saying here in, in Matthew chapter 5. He's saying, it doesn't matter what you swear by, whether it's by heaven, by the earth, or by your head, you're saying something and you need to let your word be your word. You need to let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't, don't make yourselves uh, these levels of honesty that we, we tend to live by in our life. You know, the, the technical ways in which we get in and around the word of God. So, Jesus is talking about the heart and what is it that we intend to do. When you put something out there, you either intend to keep that or not. You don't make a way that, you know, I'll say this, but I don't really intend to keep that and so I can move uh, away from that. So Jesus is talking about our heart. He's talking about what we put out there. He's talking about our appearance, a lack of hypocrisy, letting our yes be yes, our no be no. There are no such things as levels of honesty. How do we process this? What does this look like in our life in the here and now? There, there are lots of ways that we can think about this. I, I think about just some little things, and obviously I think 
about these things during the week, so I see all sorts of examples that, that happen just in my life. The other night, we were at Culver's, and uh, uh, Hector had a kid's meal, and the kid's meal, you get a free scoop of ice cream afterwards with the kid's meal. So he took his token up, and he gave it to the person, or he set it on the counter, and uh, the person said, okay, took the ice cream order, walked away. Hector grabbed the, the free scoop of ice cream coupon, walked back to the seat. The, the person never took it. I'm not saying Hector did anything wrong. But here we had this coupon now that we could use twice. We could not only get one free scoop of ice cream, which was the intent of the coupon, but now we had the free scoop of ice cream and the coupon so we could use it twice. How do we, how do we process these things? What, what is the intent? Now, we could say, you know, I, I know that they intended for us to only get one free scoop of ice cream, but it was their mistake. And, and so, therefore, I am entitled to a, a second free scoop of ice cream. Uh, what, what is the level of integrity, the level of honesty that we are putting on these things? And that's small. I, I know Culver's is not going to go broke with an extra free scoop of ice cream. But how do we shape our, our kids? How do, we, how do we begin to teach them the importance of letting our yes be yes and our no be no? So and so is on the phone. Uh, they want to talk to you. Tell them I'm not here. <laughs> we have levels of honesty. Uh, levels that say it, it's okay to pretend in these types of areas. But what Jesus is saying is let your yes be yes, your no be no. Uh, as, you, as you let the camel's nose in under the tent in these small things... The, the idea of casting uh, a picture of deceiving one another, it just becomes so much easier. Uh, so here's how a couple of theologians talked about this idea, and I think you get the sense of what's going on here. What masquerades as theology, uh, careful theology on the part of the scribes, so we're going to really think about you know, swearing by the altar or by the gift of the altar. It looks careful, but it's not. It's rank untruth. To swear by these things is to give the appearance of serious commitment. It's to suggest that one's word is bond, when all the time, behind the sign of integrity, one's heart is full of duplicity. Another author says this way, Jesus goes to the heart of why people swear oaths. Why, you know, what, what are we doing when we put something out there with our words, uh, when we say something? It's a device of manipulation of using people by attempting to bypass their understanding and judgment in order to possess them for our purposes. Now, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because that's exactly what we were talking about with the love last week. You know, it's taking from people. It's using people to satisfy our needs. And what is our needs when we put these things out there, when, when, we, uh, when we 
talk about ourselves in a way that is less than honest. We accentuate our good points and we overlook our bad points. We portray ourselves in a particular way. When we talk about our politics and, you know, we talk about spin and, and, and we talk about spin as just a thing that happens and it's actually what you need to learn to be good at, but, but spin is a, is a lack of honesty. It, it's, it's accentuating the good points or it's highlighting the bad points of, of an opponent and, and you, you sit on those things, but you're not dealing with the truth, the whole truth. And this is one of the reasons why the kingdom of God is just so different. It's so different than any of our politics. It's so different than the tendencies of our hearts in in order to live our lives. It's not masquerading. It's putting it out there in a way that deals with the truth and is honest and is not seeking to manipulate in any way, shape, or form. One of the one of the easiest places to deceive, one of the one of the places where we struggle to be truthful uh, the most is our own hearts. Our own selves, you know, James alluded to that. If we don't bridle our tongue, we, we deceive our hearts. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard, some of you are familiar with the Danish philosopher. One writer described him, it was in the 1800s, you know, early to mid-1800s, as a Christian missionary to the Christians. His goal was to waken an enculturated nominal Christendom to the radical vibrancy of Christ-like thought. This is exactly what Jesus is doing. He, he wants to say the kingdom, it's beautiful, but it's radical. It's going to change the way that you operate in the world that you live in. And this is what Jesus is challenging us to today. Here's how Kierkegaard talks about uh, how we are to think about ourselves, sort of the the self-conversation that we are to have with integrity. He says, uh, the command to love one's neighbor as oneself does not entail a moral symmetry, but rather relies upon a heightened inequality that is radically honest with ourselves. It demands that we spare ourselves the leniency that we must extend to others. We should not presuppose that we are our best selves, that our motives are entirely pure. Instead, we should practice vigilant self-doubt and treat ourselves as the suspicious character. This is what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying there's a righteousness that is greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes and the Pharisees are painting this picture externally uh, that is meant to manipulate. And we can relate to this, right? Our, our, our social media, if you are a social media person, go back and say, does, does this portray the totality of who I am? You know, we, we curate our lives and we put them out there to, to paint a picture, to paint a portrait of the oftentimes the kind of life that we'd like to have. 
the, the kind of person that we, uh, that we hope we might be, the kind of life that we hope that we might be. And again, there, there are ways in which we engage this and we think about this, but, but what Jesus is saying here is he's saying there, there's a truth that, that we can root our lives in. There is a truth about ourselves that we can be comfortable in because the poor in spirit are the blessed ones. Those who mourn over their sin, those are the ones that are comforted. If you are meek, you'll inherit the earth. There's a righteousness that is greater than that external righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. So be honest. Be honest with the world around you. Be honest with yourselves. Be honest in in the image that you portray in the world. Don't try to manipulate others by your boasting or by presenting half-truths. Don't be deceptive. But how do we do this? You know, we we come to these and this heart excavation is really hard uh, because we, we would like to be like the Pharisees. We'd like to say, no, I don't really get angry but we're a seething cauldron of of disquiet. We'd like to say, yes, I am sexually pure, but then when it comes to our heart, we recognize that we take far more than we give. We'd like to say, I live an honest life, but we realize that the deceit, what are we going to do about this? Or maybe... As one pastor put it one time, maybe it's not what we are going to do about it, but what has Jesus done about this? And what is so beautiful here, I think what is so attractive, is that at significant moments in the redemptive work of the Messiah, he operated not by words, but by silence. As a sheep before his shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. As the Savior, he he knew that we have filled the world with words. Words that would nail us to the cross that we deserved. But he did not open his mouth so that he would go and he would bear the weight of the words for us. It was on the cross that the Savior cried out into the very silence of God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father closed his his heart, he closed his mouth to the Son So that the Son could bear the eternal wrath of God against all that our words have done and wrought in this world. It was the silence of the Savior. It was the silence of the Father that was meant to melt your heart and to melt my heart. That we would find ourselves mourning 
poor in spirit, broken and contrite before him, trusting in a righteousness that is not our own, but a righteousness that is greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. What can we do about our words? We can be, start with being honest with ourselves. Start with being honest before God. Writing it out. Asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the, uh, the levels of dishonesty that exist within your own life. But you can only do this if you are truly living by the gospel and not by moralism. If you're trying to prove your own rightness before the Lord, prove that you're better than the next guy, you have no leg to stand on. You will ultimately come up with nothing. But that's the point where we can really start. (laughs) When we realize we have nothing to offer, we can go to Christ for his everything. I'm not a big poem guy. But I have a poem for you today. Connor Gwynn is the poet. What if I amount to nothing, come to the end with empty hands, no podium standing or trophy toting or byline book bound, crown found meaning? What if I'm only a creature or an object, a lesson in futility, misplaced effort, humility lost and found and lost again? Perhaps I cannot be optimized. What if I accomplish nothing more than breath? What will I be if I become only this, only me, flesh and bone, filled with grace, drenched in mercy? This is a race you cannot win. All has been given and given and given. It's given again each morning, each moment. No scorecard in sight. There's no throne save one. What if I amount to nothing and come to the end with empty hands? It will be enough. Will you pray with me? Father, we pray that as we continue to walk through this the sermon that you have laid out for us, a sermon that certainly wants to dig deep to the foundations of who we are. Lord, we pray that you would help us to realize that nothing in our hands we bring. Simply to your cross we cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace, foul We to your fountain fly, wash us, Savior, and that will be enough. That will be enough. In fact, that will be the place that we can start. That will be the place where we can live with a integrity and honesty that that says something different to the world around us. And Lord, that is our prayer. It's Global Missions Week. We want to go to that darkest of continents, our own hearts, and we want, to, we want the light to shine first there so that it can shine throughout the world. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus, amen.